Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Acts, chapter 19. We will consider verses 11 through 20, but we will stand in a moment and take a reading of verses 14 and 16, and that hopefully will set the pace for us. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Acts chapter 19, verses 14 and 16, 2, 16. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was, leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Please be seated. Luke leaves out what they were saying, something like, ouch, ouch, stop it, it hurts. (laughs) Spiritual opposition, that's what we are going to consider a little bit this morning. The kingdom of Satan makes contact with this physical world, through people. That's where he gets most of his work done. The less opposition Satan faces, the more damage to humans he gets away with. Now remember, when we say, when we speak of Satan, we're not talking of a single individual only. Lucifer, of course, the enemy of God. We're speaking of the entire kingdom of evil, which he rules over. And uh, there's nothing good about him whatsoever. Wherever he gets away with the evil that he stirs up, strife and misery levels are elevated. And to oppose this, God often sends servants, servants to oppose it. But this is not without conflict. It is not ever without conflict. Eventually, it's going to be, there's going to be a clash. When Paul left Thessalonica, he wrote to them, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Christians are supposed to make an impact on their surroundings against Satan. And when we exalt the Lord and we hold up his word and we live our lives as Christ-like as we can, we are making an impact Of course, Satan will come against that. Also, he'll challenge everything. So be prepared for that. Uh, Our participation is to be intelligent, it is to be spiritual, and it is to be combative against mankind's enemy. That's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Now, he writes the Ephesian letter much later. He's in Ephesus right now. God is looking to do a great work in this city. And he writes to them later, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil include the trickery and all the craftiness that goes with it, but also straight out assaults on righteousness. And I also want to point out that the picture of the Christian in armor in Ephesians 6, as taught elsewhere, especially by Jesus, is, is one of offense, not defense. The gates of hell not prevailing means that we are the aggressors against the evil 
And we do that by abiding in Christ, following the leadings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a very simple thing to prove. Just do nothing, and there'll be no clash with Satan. But uh, when you start taking steps to uh, become Christ-like and to share that Christ-likeness in your environments, you will meet with resistance. And that resistance against us is serious. But so is God. God is serious too. And uh, which, if he weren't, then we would have reason to, to be worried. But we would be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer, with thanksgiving and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, the man who wrote that knew a lot about clashing with the devil. Romans chapter 16, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Oh, that's, he was writing to the church in Rome when he wrote, wrote that. And uh, we resist the devil. We beat back his attacks. We can overcome his interests. We cannot annihilate him, nor are we trying to. That's, that's not within the sphere of our assignment. But hell can be overcome and defeated. Uh, hell does not get to automatically win. Uh, of course, if, if you're not careful, you can perceive that he is winning all the time. Well, one of the proofs that he is defeatable is your salvation. The fact that you're saved. And if you can get saved, well, it would be quite arrogant to think no one else can be saved. Acts chapter 26, this Paul telling uh, about his conversion to Christ, who, and he himself is a monument of, uh, for the defeat of Satan's interests, because Satan had him tighten his hand. And he tells about his conversion, and he says what Jesus said to him. Jesus said to him, I will deliver you from the people as well as the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so there is Paul being told, I'm going to send you. You're going to be the aggressor. You're going to face spiritual opposition, but I'm going to be with you. And here, again, this is a large city, of Ephesus, and Paul's going to be here for three years because of the victories that he experienced in Christ. Sometimes Satan's work can only be dislodged through extraordinary helps from God. That's chapter 19, verses 19 through 20, actually to the end of the chapter. And so these extraordinary uh, miracles, we now look at verse 11, to begin to understand further the spiritual opposition that we face. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. That's how Luke starts off this section. Unusual wonders through an unusual man. Unusual is rarely repeated. Otherwise, it would, not be, it would be common and not unusual. And I have to say that because... There are those over the centuries that uh, try to fake the miracles, try to sensationalize Christianity. Christianity does not need to be sensationalized. It needs to stand up and face the opposition. And if it can do that, uh, that's sensational enough. No one else is doing it. And uh, uh, there are certainly uh, 
the world has its response to iniquity, but it doesn't understand the iniquity that it is responding to. Uh, if that weren't true, it would have no such, there would be no such thing as a police force uh, to, to go against the work of the devil on a natural level. But we're talking spiritual things, things that have to do with the souls of human beings. Uh, this, again, was a large movement of the Holy Spirit to take the large city of Ephesus. And it does. It doesn't mean it takes everybody in the city. It takes those who would believe by faith. Now, Paul, at this, about this time, he writes his first Corinthian letter. Because he had come from Corinth to Ephesus. And he writes to them. He says, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. There are many Satans. There are many people who are under the sway of hell, of the devil. And yet, he knew God was working there. He also knew God was not doing what he was doing in Ephesus and other places. This is where he was. This is where the fight was going to be. He discerned that through the Spirit, and he acts upon it. Now, we see through the ages those moments in history that we may call revivals. I think it's an unfortunate uh, title. I think a movement of the Spirit is more accurate. And that because revival suggests that something dead has come back to life. And many times when there's a movement of the Holy Spirit, there was no life there to begin with. And so I, I think that's a better way of expressing it. Uh, and, you know, you want to say, well, how do we know if the movement is of God. You know, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirit. See if these things are so. Well, here are some signs that it is the movement of God. This is what was happening in Ephesus and other places too. When the New Testament Jesus is exalted. Now, I have to point out New Testament Jesus because, for example, there are others that are not the true Christ and, for example, the Muslims have their version of Jesus. It ain't ours. Ours comes out of the New Testament and nowhere else. And so that is one of the key features to identify that God is doing something. When Satan's kingdom is attacked. Well, if you're just preaching Christ, but the enemy's interest is not being affected, who cares? When people come to love the scripture. Because how can you not... How can you not uh, love the word of God if you love God? They go together. When men are led from falsehood into truth. Well, that's going to cause fights. It's called salvation. It's what Jesus meant when he said, don't think I came to bring peace on earth, but a sword. His role as the prince of peace comes later. When there is an increase in love to God and men at the same time. Well, there are those that say, I love God, but there's nothing loveless, loving about them. And then there are those who, who sought to uh, exalt humanity. They love mankind, but they don't love God. They go together. Here in Ephesus, they're going to be blessed with exceptional teachings. They have these extraordinary miracles granted as a movement of Christ. Uh, and uh, this is it's no surprise that this church became the darling church. 
there uh, of of the uh, in the in the ancient world as amongst the first Christians, and they, I say darling church because there were so, so many Christians played a role in the existence and the survival of this church in Ephesus, uh, the, and it wasn't wasted on the first generation. That brings us to the next generation and topic. You younger Christians raised in the home, is it go- in Christ, is it going to be wasted on you? Is Christ going to say to you at some point, you have left your first love and you better fix it? Or will you pick up the, the, take up the mantle as did Elisha and, and go forward and part Jordans and do the work of God? Well, it's up to you because it is not written anywhere that you should fail. Yeah, in fact, the, the invitation, the resources, all available for the next generation to continue the work. The apostles, they preached to save souls. Miracles were secondary to them. Signs and wonders followed, but eventually they they were not following on the same level as in the early days of the church because the word of Christ was moving to the front and people were to believe more and more by faith as Christianity established herself. You see this in gardening. You plant a, a new garden, you have to do certain things in the early stages of that garden until it gets established. And then it begin, you know, the root balls get bigger and they hold more water and just there's a process involved. Well, That's how it was for Christianity also. Paul later recalled to this Ephesian church when he spoke to the pastors how Ephesus was one. Years later, he's passing through. He doesn't want to go to Ephesus because he's on his way to Jerusalem, but he must talk to the pastors. So he summons them to Miletus. And they get there, and again, he, he tells them, sort of, remember when. Remember when I got here? Remember what I did? Acts chapter 20, verse 27. He said this to them, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He did not say, For I have tried to do as many miracles as I could do. Paul preached uh, from the the school of Tyrannus. Uh, He rented the hall and taught there. And he also went house to house. He got one-on-one with people. He invested himself in this church. We're supposed to look at this and take notes. And after we take notes and study them, we are to take action. So those miracles, and in Paul's case here, unusual miracles, they verified the apostolic authority. Jesus said these things would happen, that they would go out and preach and signs and wonders would follow, and then he did it. And uh, this, uh, this was critical because these men were used by God to contribute in some way to forming our New Testament scripture. And I say that, uh, for example, Luke. Luke, the physician, was not an apostle, but he was under apostolic authority. And that means had Luke written things that were wrong, outside of doctrine, the apostles were there to call him out on it. And because they did not, or maybe he did write things and they did correct them. We have no record of that, but we do have this record that he, as was John Mark, these men were under the watchful eye of the apostles. 
And those apostles had that authority because of the miracles granted to them. So in Hebrews, Paul writes, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Quick answer, there is no escape. If, you're, if you come in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you neglect to receive it, at some point, there's no escape. And so we, we point that, we want to point the, the severity. Harden not your heart. Today is the day of salvation. He continues, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness, witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. You see how powerful that section becomes when he says, under the authority of God, according to his will, and not the efforts of men. Unseen miracles, they accompany ministry. The ministry of the word, we have to have them. There are miracles to this day in the unseen form, and uh, not so much the unusual form. God is still doing the extraordinary. At, to work around God not using so many miracles, the frauds, the charlatans and imposters, they fake it. They get people to fake it with them. And they're often exposed. And so when our Lord performed miracles, he had at least three purposes in mind. The first was, and not necessarily in this order, altogether, compassion, revealing the mind of God concerning human needs. He saw the sheep on a hill as without a shepherd. There were times he said, you know, they're the people away, far away from food, and he challenged the apostles, we'll give them something to eat, and we can't. And see, so he did, and that was compassion. To illustrate spiritual truths, which, of course, the feeding of the multitudes both times illustrated other truths also, but sometimes his miracles were to demonstrate a point. Jesus said at one point this was done, not because his parents sinned, but that the Son of Man could be exalted, that you could understand these things. Then there was the authentication of his uh, messiahship, that he is the one, the anointed one, singled out from all human history. And, uh, of course, the credentials as Messiah, no one, you could take all the prophets together and all their miracles, and it wouldn't even begin to come close to what Jesus did. And there was no way you could see what he did and just dismiss it with apathy. Uh, you, you were forced to choose sides. And the apostles chose Christ. And most of the Pharisees that we read of uh, they chose to resist him. This, uh, uh, the apostles followed this pattern as, as much as they could. It did not authenticate their messiahship, but it did their apostleship, which is critical. You wouldn't have a New Testament if it weren't for those apostles. And Christ knew that, and that's why he gave them to the church. And he himself has given some to be apostles prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, uh, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. Uh, this very serious business to God. And so this movement in Ephesus is validated by the miracles, and uh, the events will, will bear that out. The Holy Spirit 
prevails. Just look at verse 18 in Acts chapter 19 for a moment. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. We'll get to that when we get to that. So, uh, need to move on. We've used up almost all of your time just on this first verse. But when Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail, uh, he meant every word of it. And regardless of whatever opposition, spiritual or otherwise, we face, we're supposed to believe every word of it. As Satan doesn't want that. And he should not, uh, when it comes to that, he should be crushed under our feet, the feet of faith. Verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons, aprons, were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, Luke has already said, don't go expecting this kind of thing all all the time. He has already stated, this is unusual. These uh, handkerchiefs and aprons, they are sweatbands and aprons from Paul's work. Clearly, he's in Ephesus working with his hands, uh, making a living at, at, at some point at least. And this would help validate his apostolic ministry because the sign parallels the works of Peter, where Peter's shadow, you know, people want to get by his shadow because Paul's apostolic position was constantly challenged by Christians. Christians challenged him. And uh, without reason, perhaps envy, Uh, ignorance for sure. And most of them, you know, they couldn't understand the transition from Moses' law to New Testament to the New Covenant. They could not understand it. And Paul got it. And that's where much of his resistance came from. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now pause there. It's worthwhile to sometimes sit down and count some of the blessings that God has done for you. Because the flesh is forgetful. And where it has no monuments, uh, there can be lapses of trust and truth. But when you remember, you say, oh yeah, man, I remember that. That was the Lord and that was miraculous. Uh, There won't be three cheers in hell over that coming into your mind, but the angels will applaud it. He continues, he says in Psalm 103, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Notice which one comes first. Your iniquity is dealt with. That's the biggest disease available to, to humanity. And that's the main one. Romans 14, 18, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And Paul is saying, whether he heals me or not, I belong to him. Whether I live or die, I am his. Habakkuk expressed that at third chapter of his prophecy. He just said, look, all the food can go away. I'm going to trust God. Scoffers don't believe since they don't see miracles happening to them or around them. When did God obligate himself to do miracles before their eyes, and the eyes of every single scoffer in history, in every single generation, in every single neighborhood. When did God obligate himself to do miracles so that they could believe? 
He did not. And one reason is because even if they saw them, many of them would not believe. Faith is the great divider between the sheep and the goats. They really don't want the scoffers I'm speaking of to see the miracles because they don't want the Jesus of the Bible to be Lord. They want him to fail. And they they do not want to give an honest examination of truth. And by the way, who needs faith if you can have miracles? Well, faith is premium with God. We please God when we believe based on revelation and reason. And anybody who says faith is irrational uh, uh, or has no authoritative revelation behind it is speaking of some other faith. Because they ain't speaking about true Christianity. True Christianity has revelation that knocks out speculation. You don't have to guess. When God says, you're not supposed to have anything in front of me to worship but me. Who needs to speculate after that? Well, what about, you know, no, there's no what about. He's removed it through the revelation of his word. When he says, thou shalt not kill. Any rational person should understand. Yeah, you know, I'm not supposed to go around murdering people. It's just, you know, something God frowns on. Okay, he does more than frown on it. You say, okay, well, can we see that in the scripture? Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. You see, it's faith. We know you can't please God without trusting God. And that trust comes from examining what he has said, what he has done, what he is doing. And uh, the humanity, if he is God, and he is, he no problem communicating himself. The problem comes in when people don't want to hear it and are dishonest to themselves on purpose. We please God when we believe based on revelation. Luke chapter 11, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It does not say, blessed are those who see the miracles of God and believe him. I mean, there's some that happens to some degree, but it's still going to come down to believing what he says over what he did. Because a miracle only says there's a spiritual activity going on. It does not identify who is the one performing it. And this is the case with Moses and the magicians of Pharaoh. They did some pretty incredible things. And yet, Moses' serpent gobbled up their servants, serpents. And I wonder if Moses' rod, after it returned to being a rose, thicker. A lot of questions. Anyway, uh, the, the, the scoffer does not want to believe. They want to see things and uh, sort of dictate to God the terms. True, sometimes God does manifest himself to some to uh, get them over that hurdle, but it is unusual. How many people do you know that have had a conversion like the Apostle Paul? Well, it says and here in verse 12, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Sounds exciting. But dig a little deeper and find that the man used was the man abused. The man God had there to take this large city of Ephesus 
was already taken by God. He was hunted, he was chased, he was caned, he was stoned, and a lot of other things. All of them, not all of them, but many of them bad. He had already written to the church in the region of Galatia. He says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. That begs a question. Uh, Whose marks are on my body? Whose image uh, is, is, is on me? For example, when Christ was uh, challenged, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Of course, they were trying to get him. So if he said no, then Caesar's uh, troops would arrest him as an insurrectionist. If he had said uh, yes, then the Jewish people would have been rising up against him for daring to give God's holy money to the unholy Romans. And so he said, show me a coin. And then he asked, whose image is on it? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God the things that belong to God. And uh, so the question still asked, who is images on you and me? Christ's likeness. I know we stumble. But he is there to, to forgive and to continue working with us. Uh, no Christian should give up because Christ does not give up. He is always looking for solutions, always pressing forward. Whose marks are on your body? We have a lot of marks. We get, you know, you can maybe you maybe you're a, a, a auto mechanic and you've got a bunch of knuckle busting ex- episodes in your life, and you've got mark scar tissue on your hand from all the years of that. Well, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you're a mom and from childbearing, you know, you have marks on your body from that. Uh, these things are natural, but spiritually speaking, for spiritual opposition, what marks do you have? Maybe. I could open my shirt and show you all the scars on my heart from ministering. And maybe some of you can too. You got to be in it uh, to to experience Christianity. And so when we talk about and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them, we have to consider who was God using to do these things. And then when we look at that, we say, well, maybe I can grab a piece of this action too. Maybe God can use me, perhaps not to throw out the diseases of the flesh, but maybe the diseases of the soul. Paul's wounds were not those of uh, those of self-flagation, you know, not hitting himself, flogging himself in an attempt to impress God with self-approved guilt. He did not get the marks on his bodies, on his body by, by trying to impress anyone. He simply wanted to serve the Lord. And he got those marks standing his ground against the devil's lies in spiritual opposition to spiritual opposition. Another, you could say he went toe to toe with Satan and kept winning. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Well, these chaps are very clumsy, and they're going to pay for it. Uh, there's never been a shortage of spiritual frauds in human history. The, the first one was Cain, and there have been just a, a, a nonstop 
like there's a factory down the street, well, just pumping them out. Imposters, they, you know, they follow the righteous because Satan has sent them to do it because they won't listen and they will not receive. And they have no problem deceiving people, which is what is the notorious signature of Satan himself, the father of lies, the deceiver he is called straight out in Scripture. So these men thought they could borrow Jesus and use his name without bothering to know him. They felt that they could just tap into this because, after all, it was a good cause. They wanted to help somebody. We see this today. We, we see professionals out there. Some of them do want to help and, and do that. Others, they want to help. They just belong to the wrong team. And as a result, they go contrary to Scripture. Uh, what is it? Even if they were successful, and I don't believe most of them are, I'm talking about dealing with human behavior, even if they were, what does it profit a man if he gains the world and loses his soul? If he gains his control over his life and still goes to hell? What, a, what does it profit if someone helps you beat an addiction, but you don't come to Christ? Well, and, uh, and I, I'm going to just remind those who may not be familiar with at least my doctrine on this, I believe Christian. There's no. I don't believe. There's no such thing as Christian psychology. There's psychology and there's the Bible. I don't see how you get another brand in there because if the Bible is complete, I don't need it leavened. I do not need the sanction of Freud and his buddies. Uh, the the uh, you know too bad the apostles didn't have Christian psychologists around. They could have avoided a lot of beatings. Uh, anyway, I know this ruffles feathers, and it should ruffle feathers, because if you've bought into that, you, you bought into the wrong stuff. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life. Now, what part of all things is incomplete? All right, I, can, you know, I, get a, I don't get in the flesh. I have a righteous indignation for this. The audacity of somebody to say, I'm a Christian, and I need to find out from somebody else how to live my life morally or, sane, or, or, or be sane. You all come to the word of God then. Uh, Christ cast out 2,000, I mean, uh, uh, legions of, he cast out more demons from one person that 2,000 pigs couldn't tolerate. So it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the definition of leaven is to mingle that which doesn't belong in, in the scriptural application. Well, I've got more to say, a lot more to say, so let's turn the clock back five minutes because it's daylight preaching time. <laughs> he says, we exercise you by Jesus. Now, this is, the translators in the New King James have an interpretive rendering. It should read, we charge you. That's the Greek and they want to, they want, evidently, getting to their, they wanted to let their audience know that they were trying to perform what we call an exorcism, casting out the devil. And so they said, we charge you by, by Jesus. Again, hope, meaning well, hoping to not only make the person's condition better, but also gain a reputation for themselves. He said, then it says, whom Paul preaches, oblivious to the oncoming danger from tampering with the spiritual realm. There are some people that they tamper with Ouija boards and the occult, and the next thing you know, they've got some serious mental issues. 
because the mind is spiritual. It's not physical. You can't take an x-ray of it. You can't measure its balance except through the behavior and the speech. Uh, So that's what Satan goes after, the mind. So Paul said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And verse 14, also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. Now, this Sceva guy, not a very friendly name, um, at least to me, I hear it it's a scratch. But uh, anyway, I I shouldn't say that because maybe somebody has that name with my fortune, right? Anyway, uh, likely a local chief priest of a Jewish sect, of mystics and spiritualists, certainly not a high priest connected to Jerusalem. He, he would not be here. But that's how he, he went around. His, his, his business card said, you know, Sceva, Jewish chief priest, and, and that's how it was. But anyway, because of ther- verses 13 and 15, as well as this verse, um, I take it these are the same guys. So Luke is giving us per, uh, parenthetical uh, detail. There's a parenthesis here. And so he says, these guys went around trying to cast people out in Jesus' name. They didn't know Jesus. Well, let me tell you what happened to them. And uh, that's what's going on. Verse 15, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Oh, man, this is not going good. Demons can speak through people, through people whom they've possessed. Uh, They get hold of the mind. Uh, James said, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So he's saying they're real. The Bible never sweeps that under the rug. Uh, The intelligentsia of humanity does. How convenient for Satan. So Jesus, I know. Now that Greek word where it says, no, I know Jesus, is ginosko, to know by interaction, by contact, by experience. That's how the... Greeks would use that Greek word, gnosko. Paul, I know, is a different Greek word for know in our English. That word is epistemi, and that means to know about, to be familiar with. So he says, I know the Lord, I know Jesus, and I've heard about Paul. I know about him in that sense. And then he says, but who are you? The demon noticed they didn't have Christ. And they still notice. At, you know, the, do you know God? No, we don't would have been the honest answer. Do you know the one who died for you? Do you know the one whose name you are using, invoking? No. So this picture's not only a, a clumsy attempt at casting out, of dealing with evil, but it pictures the world trying to imitate the church. It is far worse when the church tries to imitate the world. And unfortunately, it is very common. Uh, it's, it, it's, it, it caters to the comfort zone of newcomers, I suppose. The church is not to hide her voice from the world. The church is to insulate herself from the voice of the world and the voice of Satan. And when the, world, when the church does not do that, And then you have the world in the church, and it is no longer a church. It's just an assembly place. Well, what else happened here when he says, but who are you? Verse 16, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, 
overpowered them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Seven to, odds were seven to one. Uh, demon possession is often identified by unprovoked violence. Uh, the Bible teaches the existence of spiritual personalities, of spiritual personalities in evil. It doesn't teach just Lucifer. There are others. Revelation 9-11. Uh, this one, Apollyon, he is so bad, he's still locked up. But he's going to be let loose on earth. And they, had a, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. This is an arch demon. And or you know, he's so there are spiritual entities out there, and therefore man should seek to know all he can know about such beings, not out of curiosity, but in war. Satan has been a subject of ridicule instead of fear by a lot of people. A lot of folks are amused by the idea of, of the devil even uh, taking humor on him instead of see, you know, making humor, funny things, jokes about him, instead of recognizing the deadly disease and murderer that he is. He is the personification of disease and of death and of all that hurts mankind. And the fact that some people are fascinated with him and disinterested in the one who can conquer him Attest to his sway over people. And so, John, can you read this verse enough in church? 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so the people who pretend uh, that he doesn't exist or want to uh, depict him as cute and play dress up with horns and a pitchfork and a tail, and think that this is somehow uh, acceptable or amusing to God or to themselves. They're, they're, un, they're delusional, spiritually delusional, uh, and we should help them. And they dismiss when they dress up like Satan, Satan's role in humanity, which is death, sorrow, horror, terror, dread, torture, misery, anything that is harmful and disgusting and vile. He is the source why not just dress up like some dreaded disease? Buy yourself an Ebola outfit. Because there's nothing funny about Ebola and there's nothing funny about Satan. John, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill. The Lord's speaking. He says, let's get this understood. Satan only comes to take and to kill. He's not coming for any other reason. He hates your guts. So why don't you go dress up like him and find yourself a cocktail party? Revelation 13, 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. That's Satan in action. Revelation 16, 19. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the dragon being Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of of the false prophet. John was able to see what was going on. Everything these guys say is right out of hell. 
And yet, you know, mankind just goes on. One reason mankind doesn't take him seriously because many who claim Christ don't take Christ seriously. I mean, you look at some of the things the church, some churches do. Remember that guy years ago begging for $3 million that God was going to strike him dead? I would have struck. No, I would not. But it's just, just so much junk associated with that man that is nothing in line with Scripture. And just because he throws a Scripture here and a Scripture there doesn't mean you should bow down and say, okay, this guy's got it. Paul said, you follow them as they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got more on that, but I'm not going to do it. We're out of time. Overpowered them, prevailed against them. The demon sized them up as soon as they walked in the room. And he knew he could take these guys. And what Satan did to these men physically is nothing what he will do to the soul spiritually. To those without Christ. Well, we need to move on. I can make a lot more comments. Verse 17, and I know you could too, but we purposely have one microphone in here to cut down on that. Uh, Verse 17, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Well, the impostors did not get away with borrowing Jesus, and everyone knew it. And uh, had they been successful, it would have been a bad day for Christianity. Uh, Verse 18, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We saw this in the prodigal son. These people were coming, and they were admitting their guilt before God and, and the people. They were owning their wrongs out loud. Luke 15, the prodigal son. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. That must have really hurt to say. You know, sometimes it's really hard to admit your sin, to say it out loud. And why is that? Because it's a spiritual thing and the spirit is real. Uh, and uh, you hear, for that son to make that confession was evidence of the Holy Spirit before given in the fashion of Pentecost uh, at work in his heart. And these people were doing the same thing. And they're going to put their money where their mouth was. Uh, Well, is is or was? What tense are we in? Well, anyway, verse 19. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them And it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Well, here's another parenthetical note of Luke. Uh, These people had no desire to salvage what God condemned. They didn't say, you know, I spent a lot of money for this book. Maybe I could, you know, put it on eBay and get my money back before I go to church. No, they weren't going to spread this disease. They burned it. And by this, they stomped out the fires of leaven before those fires could burn down their newfound faith. And it was quite remarkable. And it was incredible value assigned. Uh, Luke is saying, boy, these were expensive books. And they burned them because Christ was more valuable to them. These books were filled with formulas and spells and astrological gibberish. And they realized that. A look at Christ allowed them to see into hell. This... To this church in Ephesus, Paul would later write, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against 
rulers of the darkness of this age. Notice it's plural, the rulers of the darkness of this age. Satan is not a single entity. There are many uh, on his, in his kingdom. He says, against spiritual host of wickedness in the spiritual places. It's translated heavenlies, but the Greek is the spiritual places. There's this unseen spiritual opposition that is going to come at us, whether we're saved or not. And if we are saved, it's going to come at us to try to do as much damage to our faith as it can and those around us. But Satan does not get an automatic win, ever. You say, but I'm too weak to face him. Well, we all are, but Christ is not. And that's the power of faith. Satan is the author and finisher of faithlessness, of apathy towards spiritual things from God. He is the author and finisher of opposition to Jesus Christ and his people without exception. He does not take a day off. He is tireless. That doesn't mean he doesn't have wheels. It means he doesn't get weary. In case somebody thought tires. Okay, it's late. We're ready to go. And they counted up the value of them, and it it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Uh, Just suffice it to say, it was a lot of money. It costs something to belong to Christ. It costs something to believe. And if, if you think, it's, it's, you know, he just does all the dying and you just get all, do all the getting saved, you have a sloppy understanding of what salvation is all about. Uh, no wonder this became the darling church of the ancient world. They stepped up and they stepped up in public. And uh, this is why God invested so much here and why he reaches back towards them later on when they begin to stumble and says, come back to me. Uh, Religion's not doing it for us. I need a relationship with you. Uh, Jesus Christ glorified the church, purified. I know I'm a little over, but I'll finish up with this. The quest for knowledge for all of us is notorious for separating us from God. I don't care what kind of knowledge you're talking about. If you pride yourself as being the know-it-all, even if you wouldn't articulate it that way, but that's where your heart is, you've been suckered. Genesis chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave Doofus' husband with her, some to eat, and he ate. Paul said, knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. And now the last verse is going to bring that to the front. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Not the knowledge, the personal puffed up knowledge, not the music, not the programs, not the teen outreach, not the schools and the seminaries. Those things may have their place, but that place is never to be equal with the Word of God, and certainly not above it. They are subject, like an organization chart. They would not be on the first line. They'd have to be second, third tier, etc. His Word. Do you accept that, Christian? Because the Bible says it this way. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. 
For you have magnified your word above your name. How powerful is that? These men were running around throwing around the name of Christ. They have the word of Christ. In the end, it says the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, not the performance of exorcisms. The word of God, the word of the Lord grew mightily and it prevailed. It won. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, the encouragements, they do not cease. As with your mercies, they are renewed every morning. They are available to all of us, regardless of what hardship we face, regardless of what legitimately precious thing we may lose in this life. We don't have to lose you too. We can still be very much useful instruments in your hand. May we learn to not depart from that which is most important. Mary chose your word and Jesus said it will not be taken from her. May you find us choosing your word and acting on it. Doing better all the time, at least never giving up on trying to do better. If you've been listening, whether you're in the church or online, maybe you're listening to a recording years later, and you've not opened your heart to receive Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity right now. You may not be promised another one, but you have one right now. If you would like to open your heart and receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, or remain in the hands of Satan, the choice is yours. The invitation is that you come. You come to the cross of Christ. You receive him as Lord and Savior. If you make this prayer, God will receive you. It's not what you are doing that makes salvation possible. It's what Christ has done for you. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your laws. I am guilty before you. And deserve the punishment. But I ask you to forgive me. To pardon my iniquity. To receive me as one of your own. To wash away from me the guilt and the shame and the sin that besets me. I ask you to be from this day forward not only the one who died for me. But the one who also reigns for me. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior from this day forward. Now, Father, if anyone has verbalized that prayer, may they indeed not be ashamed of their confession of faith. May they make it known when the invitation is given. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.